Proverbs 17, a friendless at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And from chapter 18, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And from chapter 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Amen. Good job, offspring. That was great. I love that. Uh, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, he didn't introduce himself, but the guy breathing heavily up here is Pete, who's one of our deacons. You might need to do some more cardio if you're going to be drumming and then trying to do the welcome. I can talk to you about CrossFit later if you'd like. It'd be fine. Uh, welcome. We're in a sermon series this summer uh, where we're looking at the book of Proverbs. As a church family, one of the things we really love to do is we love to tackle books of the Bible and kind of go straight through them. But the book of Proverbs doesn't work that way necessarily because the book of Proverbs is a collection of all of these different sayings and insights into life and human existence. And it's, it's maybe easier to address things theme by theme rather than just going through a whole chapter of the book. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're looking at selections from the book of Proverbs. And specifically today, as Pete mentioned, we are looking at the theme of friendship. The book of Proverbs says a lot about friendship. I'm excited to share some things with you uh, about friendship. I tell you, I feel like the Lord really did some work in my own heart. Uh, I, I, it's... There's just a lot that I want to say today. And actually, uh, I, I'm, I'll say this to you here at the 11 o'clock service because I didn't say anything at the 9 a.m. service and everybody was freaked out. I'm going to sit on this chair for a little while, not because I hurt myself or because I'm trying to like, but I, I want to speak slowly today. And the only way I'm going to be able to do that is if I sit down. And so... Uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to sit, and then I'm going to share a few things with you. But would you join with me in prayer as we go before our God who calls himself our friend? God, I thank you that we can come before you like this, even in prayer. And God, I confess, as, as somebody who has known you and, and walked with you since my childhood, just how easy it is to say things like, God, our friend, and not really understand the full depths of just how profound that is. God, that you have welcomed us in through the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can call you not only our King and our Master and our Lord, but that you have invited us to call you friend. God, I ask and I pray today for myself that you'd help me to share only that which is in line with the truth of your word. I pray that each of us would have our hearts and our affections stirred toward you, and that for anyone who is here today who is not yet a friend of God through the work of Jesus, God, would you do that work of drawing them to yourself by your grace, by your goodness, that we might see the character of our God on full display through the subject of friendship today. We pray that this time would be focused on Jesus, and in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right. <sighs> Feels good. All right. So this week... I got to go to a concert of one of my favorite bands, uh, a band called The Raconteurs. Uh, I've never seen them live before. They have kind of a co-lead singer thing. One guy, Brendan Benson, and the other guy is Jack White. Any White Stripes or Jack White fans in the house? And so I uh, got to go see this concert on Thursday night. My wife and I went. Phenomenal time. Really, really great show. And I'm seeing Jack White live. And meanwhile, completely independently, my nine-year-old decides earlier this week that she is going to teach herself how to sing and play on her ukulele the old White Stripes song, I Can Tell That We Are Going to Be Friends. So it was a Jack White-themed week in the Gray household. And uh, Reagan had no idea that, well, I don't think she had any idea that I was going to this concert to go see Jack White. She certainly had no idea that I was going to be preaching on the subject of friendship, but all week long, in the cutest imaginable voice, my daughter was just singing this song. And I'm going to read you the lyrics because I want you to think about when you were younger, when you were a child, and this subject of friendship, and just how much easier it used to be. Fall is here, Hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell. Brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are going to be friends. Walk with me, Susie Lee, through the park and by the tree. We will rest upon the ground and look at all the bugs we found. 
safely walk to school without a sound. Here we are, no one else. We walk to school all by ourselves. Some of you want to sing it right now, I can tell. Like I can, I can hear humming in your minds. There's dirt on our uniforms from chasing all the ants and worms. A lot of bugs in this song. We clean up and now it's time to learn. Numbers, letters, learn to spell, rhymes and books and show and tell. Playtime, we will throw the ball. Back to class, through the hall, teacher marks our height against the wall. We don't notice that any time passed. We don't notice anything. We sit side by side in every class. The teacher thinks that I sound funny, which if you've heard Jack White sing is true, Uh, but she likes the way you sing. Tonight I'll dream while I'm in bed when silly thoughts go through my head about the bugs and alphabet. And when I wake tomorrow, I'll bet that you and I will walk together again. And I can tell that we are going to be friends. Now, being a parent is, is fun because I get to watch my children make friends. And actually, my daughter Reagan, who is learning how to sing this song, she's the kind of person where she's never met someone that isn't automatically her new best friend. We'll go to a playground sometime, and she'll come running over. She's like, Dad, Dad, I want you to meet my new best friend. I'm like, oh, what's their name? I don't know yet, but that's one of the things I'm going to find out. Just so sweet and so precious. And something happens as we get older that makes friendship more complicated. As we become adults, we have the pressures of, you know, work and life and school and responsibilities. And, and we also have the wisdom that comes from time of like, well, I don't, I don't connect with this person or we don't really have an avenue to be friends, right? Like when, when kids are friends, it's like, oh, you like bugs? I like bugs. Let's be friends, right? Oh, you, you live on this street? I just so happen to live on this street. We're going to be friends. What if you tried that with one of your neighbors? They move in like, oh, you live on this street? We're friends. And like just hug them. Like they... <laughs> would call the police on you. Friendship is hard. Nothing drives this point home quite like a website that I stumbled across yesterday, or Friday, I should say, in the middle of sermon prep. The website is called rentafriend.com, where for a small monthly fee, you can pay by the hour to have friends. I mean, they're very specific. This is not a dating site. This is platonic friendships only. But let's say you have an extra ticket to a sporting event. You don't want to go alone. You can rent a friend to go with you. Please don't look it up by now. I haven't finished setting up my profile yet. But um, this idea, and, and I actually read an article from a, a secular magazine, Vox.com, and they're talking about, like, it seems kind of ridiculous, but how else are some people going to meet friends? And sometimes, you know, you start by renting a friend, and then a real friendship comes up. But you can actually go on the website, and you can say, I'm looking for a male who is straight between this height and this height with, you know, this type of interests and hobbies and this personality. Like, you can go in and like it, like it was eHarmony.com, and you can rent a friend my rates are very reasonable, by the way. It's like no more than like 30, 35 bucks an hour. Friendship is difficult. And it's not something that we really talk about, particularly in the church. I, I'll, I'll just say, researching for this teaching was difficult because we don't, we don't talk about it a lot in the, particularly the Western American evangelical church. And there's a few things I think that make it particularly difficult. And let me just kind of say to, to begin, like the, the, the first thing I see that makes it particularly difficult is a culture of individualism. We're in the, in the West, we have made the individual ultimate. Now I like elements of individualism. The Bible says that the Lord knows how many hairs we have on our head. He knows when we rise and when we lie down. He knows where we go. Like the Lord knows you individually and that's beautiful, Amen. But there is something that happens when we make the individual ultimate. It just makes friendship harder because why? We're focused more on ourselves. And that friendship becomes less about me committing myself to you, to love you and serve you. It becomes you somehow being the perfect friend for me to satisfy my individual wishes and dreams and needs. The other thing that we've done in the West is we've made romance ultimate. Romance is a good and a beautiful thing. 
Romance is a picture of Christ in the church. But, but if you were here a few weeks ago when I taught on the subject of singleness, you'll remember that even marriage, the, the beautiful picture that marriage is, ro- romantic love, is not itself ultimate. That one day marriage as we know it will pass away and, and it will be brought into the arrangement of Christ and his church. That marriage is not ultimate. And we, we make romantic love ultimate. And actually a lot of this can be traced very directly to uh, Sigmund Freud, where Sigmund Freud basically had a theory that underneath everything that we do, every decision we make, every friendship we participate, underneath everything we do is some sort of sexual urge. That's what his, that was his theory. And actually, you can see the way that, like he got pushed back then, he get pushed back now, but, he, but you can see the way that that's actually kind of infiltrated our culture. You go back and you look at different cultures in the world where there are close, affectionate friendships, some in our culture cannot believe that those are not actually romantic relationships. I remember when I, when I was in high school, I had a friend who went on a mission trip, I think it was to Haiti. And he came back and he's like, I was like, how's Haiti? How was it? He's like, it was amazing. Weirdest thing, uh, when the church service was happening, like everybody like sat down and all the guys like started holding hands and like snuggling with each other. It's like, it was just the strangest thing. It's like, we don't do that in our youth group. Like, Lord knows we don't. I remember going to Uganda last year to go visit one of our, our ministry partners over there. And they're just teenage boys walking around, just holding hands, just loving signs of affection. You read historically about uh, World War I soldiers that, you know, just the intimacy and the closeness of friendship that they had. You can read about various uh, close friendships and relationships, and it's hard for us in our culture to imagine that these were not romantic relationships because we have made the romantic love ultimate. And the third reason why friendship is rare is because friendship is rare. <laughs> it's hard because it's rare. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. In our, in our words, there'd be a lot of people talk a big game, but it's hard to find somebody who'll follow through. And there's, there's substitutes for friendship, right? Like we have the idea of fair weather friends. You know what a fair weather friend is? Proverbs 19 talks about it. It says, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Many, see, by the way, uh, there are certain verses in the Bible that are descriptive of something. That's not a commandment for us to do, okay? It's like, oh, find wealthy people, be friends with them. Like, no, 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 this is describing something that happens like the book of Proverbs often does. Many seek the favor of a generous man and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. And how much more do his friends run far away from him? We know this in friendships today where it just seems like people are only friends. You've experienced this maybe where someone only acts like a friend when they want something from you. Instead of being there to serve you and in the difficult times, it's like, oh, hey, I need to move. Can I hang out with my friend? Or I, was, I remember having someone tell me like that they got a Facebook message from somebody that they used to be really good friends with back in college. And, and uh, this is kind of a familiar story, actually. It's, it's, but I specifically had this conversation with someone like, oh yeah, they messaged me. Oh, it'd be great to catch up. Let's get coffee. Let's go talk. I haven't seen you in decades. It'd be so great to meet up. And then while they're sitting there talking like, yeah, I'd love to tell you about my direct product sales business that I'm running. And maybe you'd like to buy some of this stuff. And it's like, seriously? Like, it's great. Let's be friends, but you just want to sell me something? Not only is there fair weather friends, there's foolish friends. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, Don't raise your hand for this, but have you ever had one of those friends where it seems like they just are determined to run their life, uh, you know, shipwreck their life over and over again, and your end up, your friendship is harmed because they don't make good decisions. And you can't invest yourself and entrust yourself to them at the depth that you would like to because they're just not a wise person. There's foolish friends. And then even one step farther, there is such a thing as wicked friends. Back in chapter one, you see this, you know, this, this kind of enticement, right? If It's a father saying to my son, if, if sinners try to entice you, don't, don't go with them. If they say, come with us, let's lie in wait for blood. Let's ambush the innocent without reason. 
like Sheol. Let's swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall all find precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. Look at that. The the drawing in. Let's all hang out together. My son, don't walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Um, Listen, it's been a while since somebody said to me, Aaron, let's go shed innocent blood together. I hope and I pray, you know, as, as we age and as we mature and as we grow, that we learn how to not have those types of friends in our lives. So maybe for you as an adult, this is kind of rare, but let me say something to those of you who are younger. I see teens and, and, and young adults, youth in this room. There are people who will, in your life, say things to you like, hey, let's go, you know, spray paint, so-and-so's house. Let's go steal so-and-so's bike. Let's go do, like you are in the season of life where this is being lived out and you are being tested and you are being trained. So particularly for those of you who are younger, for the the teenagers, the, the tweenagers, all of you who are in this season right now where people might literally say things like that to you, learn the difference between a true friend and a wicked friend because the desire for friendship is so deeply embedded in the human heart that sometimes we will give place to wickedness just so we can be part of the group. Don't do it. And there are some of us as adults that still need to hear that as well. Friendship is maybe one of the most misunderstood of the loves, particularly in our culture and in our context. And I'm, I'm going to make a case today. I'm going to make a case today that maybe is, um, this is new to me. So I'm saying something that I'm still testing out on you all. But here's what I think. I think that of all the different types of loves, romantic love, family love, I think that friendship love has the greatest potential to serve as an example of the gospel. And I get this from John 15. John 15, you remember what Jesus said? He said, this is my commandment to love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, there's no greater way to display love than this, to lay down when someone lays down their life for his You know, we just finished the Gospel of John. I just taught on this earlier this year. And as I'm studying and as I'm praying and as I'm reading this week, this verse hit me in a way that it has never hit me before. That Jesus said, you want to see the greatest display of love that can possibly be displayed? It's about laying down your life. Not a husband laying down his life for his wife. Not a father laying down his life for his children, but a friend laying down their life for another friend. Now, I want to address a little bit more on friendship. Before I do, I want to introduce you to a friend that I made this week. Uh, This friend uh, lived in England. He's been dead for a little over 800 years, Uh, but I got to know him pretty well this week. It's a guy named Elred of Riveau. Elred of Riveau was an English monk. He was part of the Order of Cistercians. He lived in northern England, almost up near Scotland. Actually, he was the, uh, uh, the, the leader of this group. And he wrote a book in the mid-1100s, late 1100s, well, 1160s, called Spiritual Friendship. And when I say like American evangelicalism doesn't have a lot of good writings on friendship, I think that's because in part that American evangelicalism has really bought into the ultimization of the individual and the ultimization of romance You can find a lot of books on marriage from American Christian pastors and authors. It's really hard to find books on friendship. So we're looking to an ancient Catholic monk from across the pond. I really like this book. I read the whole thing this week. And he says this. I'll start with this quote from Elred, and I'm going to quote from him a few times. Elred says, I do not assume that my explanation can match the great value of the topic. 
Nothing in human life is hungered for with more holiness. Nothing is sought with more utility. Nothing is found with more difficulty. Nothing is experienced with more pleasure. And nothing is possessed with more fruitfulness. Friendship bears fruit in our present life and the next. I quote that because I want to say the exact same thing. Number one, this is a really big deal. And number two, I can't say enough about it. But he said it fancier than me. I want to say three things. And in fact, I want to answer, hopefully, by God's grace, three questions about friendship. First, I want to answer the question, what is friendship? I want to answer the question, what is the purpose of friendship? So what it is, what it is for, and how to do it. What is friendship? What is it for? How do we do it? I'm going to start with the second question. I'm going to start with what friendship is for. And let me talk, when we talk about purpose, let me talk about the storyline of the Bible. You guys know the storyline of the Bible. I have to stand up. Okay. The storyline of the Bible, (laughs) get it out of the way here. The storyline of the Bible starts with God creating humanity for relationship with himself. Male and female, uh, in the perfection of the garden, we see in those early chapters of Genesis phrases that I don't think we can even understand. That God is walking with the, the, the humans in the cool of the day in the garden. Like, like, can we even really wrap our brains around what the closeness must have been like between God and mankind? But we see that Adam and Eve, Eve was deceived by the serpent and she ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that she wasn't supposed to eat from. And Adam was passive and he did nothing and he followed right along with her and they both sinned. And because of it, relationship with God has been broken and we have become alienated and estranged from God and apart from the saving grace of God in Christ Jesus. That's the status of our relationship. Broken, distant, estranged. But God sends his son, Jesus, born of a woman, the the, the one who is fully God and the one who is fully man on a redemptive mission. The Christ Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost and to offer us the forgiveness of sins through the shedding of his blood. And he promises that all who put their trust in him will ultimately be joined together in a forever family, to borrow the language of adoption, with God. That we were created for relationship. Christ came to restore relationship and ultimately we will spend eternity in relationship with God. This trajectory is incredibly important if we are to understand what friendship is for because it could be said that the storyline of the Bible, if I substitute out the word relationship for friendship, we are created for friendship with God. We used to enjoy it. We didn't enjoy it. We do enjoy it through Christ and ultimately we will enjoy it forever. But now think about, you know, zoom in. Think about the trajectory of human relationships. When you meet somebody, you start out as what? Strangers. Some of you, maybe, you know, maybe you're new to the church. You come for the first time. I like to stand out front and meet people and shake people's hands. But when you first walk up, you and I are strangers. We don't know each other. And then we shake hands and we meet. No, what's your name? And what's my name? And, and I promise you I will forget your name and I'm so sorry about that. But after four or 12 times, I get it. And then we're now acquaintances. And I learn a little bit about, oh, you moved to the area. You moved here for, you know, this, that, or the other thing. You moved for work. And oh, you live here and you, you've got this going on. Then maybe you start coming regularly on Sundays and maybe you start serving and we're around each other a little bit more. And now we're companions. And somewhere in there, we're Facebook friends too, but that's not part of the continuum because really what happens is from companionship, there is this leap of trust to move from a companion to a friend. Companions are, we're around each other, we do things near each other, but friend is like, I've really entrusted myself to you. And then if there was a final step, it'd be something like family. You think about that in a romantic relationship where you move from strangers all the way to friends who then make a commitment of being family together. I was talking with a couple after the first service where each of them, it was like, like uh, they got married to each other and their best friends were like sibling. I don't remember. I was, it was loud out there, but like the idea of like they're friends who are family. Like my best friend is now actually my sister-in-law. My other, my best friend is now my brother-in-law. And there's this idea in the Bible of this trajectory that God's creating a family who is also friends. 
How many of you know that you can have family who are not friends? Some of you know that a little bit too well, right? Or you can have friends who are family. That's where God is taking humanity. This is where God is is taking the trajectory of human history, but it's displayed in human relationships. And, And again, let me say this. The purpose of friendship is to display the joy of the gospel relationship with God. Does marriage display the gospel? Yes. Uh, pop quiz. Come on, louder. Yes. That's, that's not a secret. Uh, marriage, it, particularly in marriage, what the book of Ephesians teaches us in other places is that the husband— and the wife, though there is sameness, there is also difference. That's why marriage is a man and a woman, because there's sameness and there's difference. And in the difference, the joining together serves as a picture of the sameness and the difference between Christ and humankind, his bride, the church. That, that, that Christ and, and, and the church are alike, because we're created in the image and likeness of God, right? But we're different, because we're not God, and we're not eternal the way he is. And there's a difference. And the husband plays the Christ role and the wife plays the church role. And in that romantic marriage, there's a picture of the gospel. But we are told, remember from from when I taught on singleness, we are told explicitly that one day, marriage as we know it, as beautiful as it is, will come to an end. And all of the marriages will be subsumed into the actual one true marriage of Christ and the church. Does family display the gospel? I'm, you guys know the answer to that. I'm not trying to trick you, okay? When a, when, a, when a parent loves a child, adoption, I love the gospel and the language of adoption. We sing songs about it. And we read verses about it, that God has adopted us into the family of God. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that one day, families as we know them will be taken into the universalized family of God. My daughter, Reagan, the same one, she's a funny kid. She thinks funny thoughts. Sometimes like at bedtime and she's feeling all sweet and sentimental, she'll look at me. She's like, you're my dad, but you're also my brother in Christ. And I'm like, well, right now I'm your dad and I'm telling you to go brush your teeth. So please... But she like just, she, <laughs> she's sitting there looking at me like, in eternity though, we're just going to be brother and sister. I'm like, you're right. Will you stop? Don't use theology to get out of bedtime as much as I might fall for that. In eternity, that parent-child relationship will be transformed because God will be father. We'll all be brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. I can find nothing in the pages of scripture that would lead me to conclude that friendship is transformed in that same sort of way. The way that marriage is transformed and family is transformed in eternity, we will still be friends. The only difference will be there will be no more sin and sorrow and brokenness and walls and guardedness and we'll enjoy perfect friendships for all of eternity. Praise God for that. So I think... That when Jesus sits his disciples down in the upper room in John 15 and says, hey, you're still my servants, but actually I'm not just going to call you servants anymore because I'm going to call you friends because a a servant doesn't get to know what's going on behind the scenes. I'm actually calling you my friends because I've made known everything that the Father has done. Friends who are family. Family who are friends. I want to give you one other little example of this. Um, When I saw this lived out, it just kind of became clear to me. This is a few months ago. We had a family in our church that went through a difficult time. And I I know this family both through church and through a non-church setting. So I engaged with them in in kind of two different, you know, groups, circles of friends and circles of people. And when they went through this difficult time, I was like, oh, we should uh, do a meal train. You guys know what a meal train is? You sign up for meals. People can bring them food and help kind of take care of them while people are going through a hard time. And, and so I, I set up a meal train. God must have been in it because I did it correctly. I've never done it before. Uh, and I set up this meal train and I, I sent it, you know, texted it and emailed it to a bunch of people from the church. And I was like, hey, you know, here's this family. Some of you know them, some of you don't, but let's love on them. Let's care for them. And then I sent this meal train to a handful of people who are not themselves Christians and, and aren't part of a church community. And I was not prepared for the reactions that I got. I had people saying things like, what is, what is this meal train? Oh, this is incredible. 
did you think of this yourself, Aaron? I'm like, absolutely, yes. Totally thought of it myself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I had one person say like, oh, well, you know what? That, that totally makes sense because so-and-so, they don't have family here in the area. So it's, it's good for friends to step in in that way. I just thought about something, something that I kind of take for granted, particularly among the community of faith, friends who are family, family who are friends, was a witness to those who did not know Jesus. That our friendships have a, have a missional purpose. That we are created for friendship with God. And, and in, in, in our friendships, the more that they display the character of God, the more it is a witness to those who don't know the love of God in Christ Jesus. What an amazing thought. The purpose of friendship is to display the joy of the gospel. Now, let me talk about what friendship is. I'll move quickly through these because Proverbs has a couple of things. Again, like Alred says, I couldn't say enough about it. There's so much I could say about friendship, but I think there are at least three key areas that the book of Proverbs points us to that I want to bring to your attention. And the first one is this, that, that true friendship is about more than tolerance. It's about true enjoyment. There's something about friendship you like this thing, I like this thing. I like spending time with you, you like spending time with me. That Proverbs says in, in 27.9, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That as we sit and talk and dialogue and you share with me and I share with you, there's a sweetness that comes. It's like, a, it's like you know, it's, it's as sweet as oil and perfume. Think about this. Can I just share with you... Um, I'm going to say something real risky here. Okay, ready? I need somebody to back me up. I don't like everyone. Thank you. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I don't like everyone the same. You don't like everyone the same. There's something about friendship that is this like, like, yes, we know about Christian love, but there's something particularly sweet about friendship. Let me quote from our brother Alred again. He says this, he says, divine authority commands many more be received to the clasp of charity, that's love, than to the embrace of friendship. By the law of charity, we are ordered to welcome into the bosom of love, not only our friend, but also our enemies. Okay. Let me, let me translate that from you for you. That means who does Jesus want us to love? Everybody, friend, neighbor, coworker, family, enemy. We're called to love everybody. But, Elred says, we call friends only those to whom we have no qualm about entrusting our heart and all its contents. And while those friends are bound to us in turn by the same inviolable law of loyalty and trustworthiness. So you and I, you and I, we're going to click with certain people. We're going to have a, you know, a thing where it's like, man, I really like that person. I, I, we love everybody. By God's grace, we are called to love everybody. But there is something sweet about friendship that's based around the idea of enjoyment. I get to enjoy this person. We're not married in that sense of like, you know, uh, we're, not, we're not married together. So like, I, well, I have to love you because I've made a lifetime covenant and commitment to you. We're not family. We're like, well, I have to love you because you're my cousin or whatever. It's like, you're my friend. I get to love you and I get to enjoy you. And there's something sweet about that. Number two, true friendship is marked not just by convenience, but by commitment. And this is particularly countercultural, is it not? Convenience is... I want to go see the newest, you know, whatever, Avengers movie, but I don't have anybody to go with me. I'll call somebody up. We'll see if they're free. Much of our language around friendship is that convenience sort of language. The Bible says that true friendship is, is, is loving at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. There's that Hebrew parallelism, a friend or a brother, at all times, even the hard times. Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions. You might have a lot of friends and still come to ruin, but there is a friend, there is a a good friend that sticks closer than a brother. Thinking through the scriptures, like all these examples of great friendships. Think about like David and Jonathan, how, how they were there for each other, not just in the good times, but in the bad times. You know, bad times like when Jonathan's father, Saul, tried to kill David with a spear. I remember in my youth where my dad said things like that he wanted to kill one of my friends, but I'm pretty sure he was joking. 
This guy actually had a father who tried to actually kill one of his friends. And then Jonathan stuck by his friend David, even at the loss of the inheritance rights to be the next king of Israel. Think about Ruth and Naomi. Ruth and Naomi, one of the most beautiful friendships in the entire Bible. There's really not very much that should have kept them together. Ruth is, is young and she's a foreigner. She's a Moabitess and Naomi is old and, and an Israelite and, and, and both of their husbands died. So there's no more bond of family between them. They're no longer, technically speaking, you know, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. And when Naomi says, I'm going back to Israel because the famine is over. Let's, let's go back. I'm, I'm going to go back there. You go back to Moab, go to your people, find yourself a new husband. What does Ruth say? She says, you can't get rid of me. I'm ride or die with you. It's in the Hebrew. You got to look it up. But she basically says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'm committing myself to you in a way that just doesn't make sense. This is not a friendship of convenience. And what's really cool about Ruth and Naomi is yes, Ruth marries Boaz and there's a beautiful love story and all that kind of stuff. It involves like a sandal under somebody's thigh. I don't understand all of it. But at the end of the story of Ruth, when Ruth and Boaz have the baby and he's the one who's going to be in the line of, of King David who's coming, Naomi's the one holding the baby. And an argument could be made that the story is actually more about the friendship of Ruth and Naomi that leads to the marriage of Ruth and Boaz, which leads to the line of King David. Wesley Hill is an author and a pastor. He says, what we need now isn't disinterested, disembodied relationship. We need stronger bonds between brothers and sisters in Christ. We need ways to voluntarily surrender our freedom and independence and link ourselves spiritually and tangibly to those we've come to love. It's very countercultural, is it not? Um, you know, I, I had to, when I was, you know, kind of leaning into some of the other strands of the Christian faith, I, I stumbled across something that's particularly practiced in the Eastern Orthodox Church. It's a ceremony known as adelphopoiesis, which means brother-making. And a brother-making ceremony is in which two friends stand before other friends and commit to one another in the bonds of friendship. It's a really fascinating thing. I believe there's a, there's a I, I came across a, uh, in certain streams of Catholicism, it's practice as well, a, a rite of friendship. I found it in Anglicanism, which Anglicanism is odd because it's like kind of Protestant, but still kind of like diet Catholic. And so we don't know where to put them, but like they do some of that as well. Uh, what, if, what if we, like how unusual would it be to say like, man, I love this person. I'm going to make a commitment of friendship to them. Again, our culture, because we've ran, romanticized, uh, we, we've ultimate We've made ultimate romantic love. People look back on that and say, well, how could that not be, you know, uh, romantic love or whatever? But you can read stuff like this guy, Elred, who I'm quoting from, he lived in a, uh, you know, a, a monastery with all these brothers where they practiced this stuff together. And he talks about things like chastity and about, you know, vows of celibacy and vows of poverty and things like that, where it's just, I really love my brothers and I want to commit to them. True biblical friendship is, is, has this element of commitment, not just convenience. And then number three, true biblical friendship has this element of vulnerability and not guardedness. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I, I need to say something here. Um, whenever you make yourself vulnerable, you run the risk of being hurt. Amen. And actually, I do want a show of hands. How many of you have ever been hurt by a friend? Gossips, lying, backstabbing, that kind of stuff, not being there for you when you needed them. But what I'm talking about here, I'm not talking about the bad kind of getting hurt. I'm actually talking about the good kind of getting hurt, a real type of vulnerability where, where, the, where the, the, the proverb says, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Okay, think about this. All right, let me use an example. Have you ever had a day where you were really active? Maybe you like got together with friends and you played flag football, you went hiking, you did something and like you're sore, your body is sore, right? And then at the end of that day, you ever like settle into a hot tub 
And like not a lukewarm tub, I'm talking like a hot tub. And as you're getting into that hot tub, you're like, my body is sore. And you get in, you're like, oh, this kind of hurts and it kind of stings, but I know that I need it. Have you ever had that? It's like one of life's greatest joys. And it's a painful thing. Actually, let me personalize a little bit more. You ever been really sore? You ever been really hurting? And you go see a massage therapist? And they like, you know, start putting the, you know, the massage oil on their hands and they kind of reach for it. And you're like, oh, and like, I haven't even touched you yet. And you're like, oh, okay. It's this idea of like, there is a, there is a type of ouch that is actually really good. And the Bible tells us that true friendship has that kind of, oh, I know I needed to hear that. Ooh, I don't want to hear that but I know you and love you and trust you that you know me and that you love me and you have my best intention at heart. And so I'm going to listen to what you have to say. Friends, true biblical friendship is marked by that kind of vulnerability. Now we don't just throw caution to the wind. We don't just open up our hearts in that way to every old person we come across. But I think that the Bible would point us toward a picture of friendship in which we open ourselves up progressively more and more to enjoying each other, to committing to one another, and then being willing to be vulnerable in the true sense of the word. And again, doesn't that just all point us right back to the gospel? That all just points us right back to the gospel. That, that Jesus was, I don't, know, I don't know if anybody else says it this way. I've been saying it for years, that it was really inconvenient to Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. Jesus was inconvenienced for us. It would have been easier for him to remain in the glories of heaven. But not only was he inconvenienced, that Jesus committed himself to us. We sang in that song earlier that my heart would still refuse him if he had not chosen me. That Jesus chose us. That Jesus not only came to, 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 to teach and to, to preach and to proclaim the kingdom, but to come and to get us. To seek and to save that which was lost. And, and that Jesus opened himself up. Jesus was vulnerable for us, was he not? Not only was he vulnerable in that he, he displays the Father's will to us, but Jesus was made ultimately vulnerable by dying on the cross for us. That he was naked and he was mocked and he was, uh, he was reviled and he was crucified so that we who trust in him could be forgiven of our sins and brought back into right relationship with God. And... Jesus loves us and enjoys us. Think about, think about this. The, the Bible says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And that he, not only did he die, but he rose again from the dead to say like, yeah, I died for you, but I rose again and I'm going to give you eternal life so that we can be together forever. And I think that there's something to this thought where, where, I don't like everyone the same. You don't like everyone the same. We're all different. We're all made in the image and likeness of God, but we are finite creatures and we connect and we, we, we bond with other finite creatures in different sorts of ways. But do you know who can like and enjoy every single person? The one who is not a finite creature, but the infinite creator. So whereas I, in my finitude might not see what is so special about that person. Like, I just don't really click with them. I don't really know what's so special about them. It's not about them. It's more about me and how much of a, of a fallen, broken, finite creature I am. But Jesus comes along and says, oh, I see everything that's special about that person. I really love this about that person. You guys know that the good news of the gospel is not just that God goes, well, if you ask nicely enough, I'll forgive you of your sins. It's that I love you. I want you. I'm giving myself to you as a friend for now and for all of eternity. Man, that's amazing. All right, let me sit back down. <laughs> I want to I close with a couple of quick thoughts for you because I have one more question we need to answer, which is How? How do we go about pursuing this type of friendship? Not just friendships of convenience, not just, you know, somebody to hang out with at the coffee shop when you're bored, but like deep, close, committed, vulnerable, gospel-pointing friendships. The first thing I'll say, I got four, four ideas to share with you. The first one is you got to prioritize friendship. You got to prioritize friendship. Friendship must be on your list of things to invest in. For those of you who are married, you need to invest in your marriage. But don't only invest in your marriage at the exclusion of friendship. For those of you who have kids, 
particularly in the suburbs where we live, it is easy to make kids an idol and they consume everything in our lives. Love your kids, commit to your kids, but not at the exclusion of friendship. For those of you who work and you do a darn good job of working and and making money and and providing and, and being a generous person, that's great. Do not commit to work so much so that you do not prioritize friendship. You have to look at your time and your hours and your, and, and your schedule and say, if anybody was to come and do an audit, would they be able to say that friendship is a priority to me? Number two, I want to I offer you this, this bit of hopefully wisdom. Be open to surprise. The people in my life that I have known who have had the hardest time with friendship have been those that have a very narrow idea of what that friendship should look like. Maybe because of childhood or personality, maybe because of things they've you know, seen on TV or movies. It's like, friendship should be like this, and the kind of person I want to be a friend with is this. And I would just invite you to like, broaden your scope a little bit, because you never know when God might want to surprise you. I think the friendship between Naomi and Ruth is pretty surprising. An older Israelite widow and a younger Moabitess, who's a, like those, those people do not get along, and yet God used their friendship in a beautiful and a powerful way to bring about the line of King David and ultimately Jesus. Be open to surprise. Number three, I want to encourage you to act like a friend. Now, you might say, okay, well, Aaron, is this just like a fake it till you make it sort of a thing? Hmm, no. Because I want you to be genuine, but you may start to, you know, start treating somebody like a friend and you start getting down there, ah, maybe we just don't really kind of click. But you know what? That time was not wasted because when the person does come along who you really do click with, you've been practicing. And you're not sitting around saying, well, I need them to be a friend. I need them to act like a friend. No, you take the initiative. Like Christ took the initiative to love us and pursue us. You, friends, take the initiative to love and pursue others in friendship. And then lastly, number four, keep Christ central. I will say that without Christ, there is a limit to the depth of the friendship. The truest and deepest friendships will be found where Christ is shared. You can be friends. Non-Christians can be friends. They can be a true type of friendship, but it will, it will cap out. And you, as a Christian, can be a friend with a non-Christian, but if you don't share he who is most important and most treasured in your heart and your life, there will be a limit to that friendship. Again, our brother Elred says that uh, I want to be more fully taught about the right kind of friendship between us, which should begin in Christ, be maintained according to Christ, and have its end and value referred to Christ. That you pray for each other that you point each other to the Savior, that you remind one another of Jesus, that ultimate depth of friendship is found when Christ is the third strand in the cord. I want to close with these words from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says this, you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, all of that is true of us who are Gentiles by virtue of adoption into the family of God. And then God says, My friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners like Linwood Washington, saying to you, you are my servant. We are still servants of God. But we're servants that he calls friends. We're family that he calls friends. I've chosen you and I will not cast you off. Fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. As we go to the table now to celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, let's go and eat and drink being reminded that we're invited to the table as friends. And in a few minutes when we stand to our feet and we sing out loud together, Let's be reminded that we're singing the praises of our best friend, Jesus. You pray with me? God, we thank you for this time of looking in your word, and and there's so much more that could be said. But God, I pray right now that you'd stir in us a newness of joy and a newness of, of wonder, that you would call us friends. 
It's not just that we are your servants. It's not just that we are your children. It's not just that we are the bride of Christ. But in all of those things, Lord God, you've called us your friends. I pray that you'd stir the hearts of those for whom friendship with God has grown cold. God, I pray that you would transform the hearts of those who have yet to become friends with God. Would you draw them in and save them and give them your grace? We pray all this in the name of our Savior, our Lord, our King, and our friend, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. I'm going to invite our younger students to join us as we respond. We're going to respond now through the Lord's table. Uh, Communion, this time is for those of us who have placed our faith, our trust in Jesus. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to uh, don't leave today without asking questions. If, if you're curious about Jesus, if you want to know more, um, but I would, I would encourage you to abstain from uh, communion. This time is reserved for those of us who have placed our trust and our faith in Jesus. So you should have received the, the elements on your way in. Uh, you can go ahead and pull those out, and I'm going to read for us from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, we take communion, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we take communion as a way to reflect and to remember Jesus' death, his broken body, his shed blood in our place. And then the Apostle Paul continues on and encourages us to examine ourselves. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I love uh, this idea that we're talking about today of friendship and that Jesus would call us friends. Uh, Because of our sin and our rebellion against God, we deserve to be his enemy. But yet, through his grace and his crazy love, he calls us friend. And so reflect on that this morning, but also examine your heart. And I know for me personally, I'm kind of thinking this morning, I know there are people who I have not loved with this kind of sacrificial love. There are people that rub me wrong or just don't quite feel like, um, you know, maybe it's difficult to be their friend. And I think uh, it's important for us to reflect and and really to ask God for forgiveness, but also maybe people that we have not loved very well. Maybe people that we need to go to and ask for forgiveness and repent. And so as we pause now and reflect and examine, uh, I would just encourage you to to take a moment to pray and to ask God, where is it that you need to grow uh, in in this area of loving sacrificially um, and, and truly being a friend to those who maybe uh, you, you wouldn't normally want to be. I'll pray for us, and then whenever uh, you're ready, go ahead and take the elements, and then join us as we stand and sing and celebrate our King and our Savior and our friend Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, just this reminder this morning that you have called us friend, that even though we deserve to be your enemy, you have uh, you've given everything. You've sacrificed everything. There's nothing else we can do. There's, there's no possible way we can earn your love and your favor. You've already poured it out and demonstrated it to us. We thank you, God. We worship you. We pray too now, God, would you convict our hearts, show us where we need to grow, how we can love others better, and how we can demonstrate to the, to the world, to a lost and dying world, um, your friendship, your love. Use us, God, and I pray that you would speak to each of us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.